exciting news to report. Our event, Inspiring Prevention of Eating Disorders and Body Image Issues, is going online. This is an eating disorders training event for sufferers, mental health professionals, counsellors, nutritionists, dietitians, personal trainers, and anyone with an interest in eating disorders prevention. And it is now online, bringing people together, sharing a passion for change around these issues. It is an event to inspire, educate, and connect with like-minded others. So why do we need this event? We know that eating disorders are on the rise and many people in our culture experience devastating distress around body image. And as a result of this, so many people are desperately struggling with their physical health, mental well-being, and self-worth. And we know that the incidence of eating disorders exploded in the pandemic and we continue to experience the aftermath of this. And the Lancet Group recently published research in June 2023 revealing a 42% rise in eating disorders among teenage girls as a result of the lockdowns, with similar rates of self-harm in this demographic. We need change at grassroots level. We need to implement change in society, changing the narrative and helping people to find a newfound understanding around relationship with food, psychology and body image. So be part of this change. We have brought together experts in the field to inspire and educate around prevention of these issues. And it's gonna be a one day event on the 30th of September, 2023 online. We're gonna be having lots of talks and workshops, talking about the catastrophic impact of diet culture, looking at the early years as foundation for good mental health, talking about the hidden eating disorders with 85% of people not being underweight, looking at diagnosis, early intervention and support, talking about issues with men getting eating disorders too around muscularity, talking about improving body image and developing radical self-love, understanding a broader definition of health, intuitive eating principles, is sugar really the enemy, finding a healthy relationship with exercise and movement, dealing with diet culture, and lots more. So if you want to up-level your knowledge, be inspired, connect with others from all over the world and be part of this transformation, click the link in the bio of the show notes to get your ticket. Saturday 30th of September, see you there. Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information, and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. So today I want to talk all about the limitations of BMI, body mass index. And this is at the request of one of you lovely listeners. So thank you very much for this suggestion. And um, I'm surprised I haven't really got around to doing a episode an episode on this before because it's something that really does need talking about so let's dive straight in and think about initially what do we mean by bmi body mass index so the body mass index is a measure that uses your height and weight to work out if your weight is supposedly healthy so to calculate someone's bmi you divide someone's adult weight in kilograms by their height in meters squared. So this is just an example. This is not my height or weight or anything. If I was 1.65 meters and 66 kilograms, what I would do is I would square the 1.65. So I would do 1.65 times 1.65 
and then I would divide that by the 66 kilograms and that would give me a BMI of 24.2. So I'm gonna go on and talk a bit more about the numbers and what they supposedly mean um, in a few minutes. So supposedly, according to the NHS website, for most adults, an ideal BMI is in the 18.5 to 24.9 range. Um, which I think this is quite interesting, as I think for most adults, particularly once we leave our teenage years, unless you naturally have a very petite, um, small frame, if you are, you know, a small build, it's quite unlikely that you're going to have a BMI below 20 without restricting your eating. Now, of course, everyone's body is slightly different, but I think it's just really worth saying that because I think even the fact that 18.5 is deemed to be a healthy BMI on the NHS website is already quite misleading because I think it sets an expectation for many people that encourages disordered and restrictive eating and is not incredibly helpful. So let's just talk about a bit more about the different BMI ranges. So if your BMI comes out at below 17.5, you fall into the sort of anorexia nervosa category. If your BMI is between 17.5 and 18.5, you're in the underweight range. Between 18.5 and 24.9, you're in the healthy weight range. My neighbor is really kindly cutting my grass, but the lawnmower is really loud, so I just hope that's not coming out on the audio. <laughs> but if you can hear a bit of humming in the background, that's what it is. If your BMI is between 25 and 29.9, you're in the supposedly overweight range. This is all from the NHS website. And if your BMI is 30 or over, you're in what is termed as the obese range on the NHS website. So there you go. That's what the NHS website says. So the NHS website also says, it does have a bit of a caveat around BMI. It does say that when we are measuring someone's BMI, it is helpful to take other factors into account rather than just focusing on weight. And, and it also does say that muscle is much denser than fat. So very muscular people such as heavyweight boxers, weight trainers and athletes may be in a healthy weight even though their BMI is classed as overweight. And also not to use BMI if you are pregnant. Anyway, so that's what the NHS website says. And I think for many, many people who have had treatment and eating disorder services, BMI is very much used at the center of treatment and numbers are often really, really focused on. And I know many, many people out there who are struggling with eating disorders, disordered eating, have a difficult relationship with food, have in their head a BMI or a weight number that they feel that they should be to be deemed as healthy and this is putting them in quite a destructive relationship with food because they're having to be very very restrictive to try and kind of chase these numbers that they feel that they need to chase so in recent years the validity of bmi has been rightly questioned because the argument goes that bmi fosters weight-based discrimination and stigma it exacerbates mental health concerns such as eating disorders, increases body dissatisfaction, and can basically do a lot of harm. I would absolutely agree with this. And interestingly, a report from MPs on the Women and Equalities Committee 
has called for BMI as a measure of determining an individual's weight to be scrapped immediately. By scrapping BMI as a qualifying factor, we open the door to thousands of people who will benefit from proactive and reactive therapeutic support. So historically, many people with eating disorders haven't been able to access help, even though they've been struggling with serious symptoms, simply because their weight and their BMI were seen as defining factors in the diagnosis. And they felt, they were sort of told basically, you're not sort of thin enough, you're not sick enough almost to warrant receiving treatment. Now, I know as well, having worked in an eating disorder service and with resources being so limited, you know, being on the other sort of side of this, that we did have very, very, very narrow criteria for the people that we could see. And I truly acknowledge that that's incredibly invalidating for people because it meant that really specialists in specialist eating disorder services, at least historically in the UK, and thankfully this is changing now due to initiatives like FREED, the early intervention for eating disorders and where weight is not anywhere near as central to the whole kind of treatment model. But definitely in the past, um, you know, it was very, very, very limited. We would only see the most kind of sick and unwell people. And it very much gave the message to so many other people that were struggling that their symptoms weren't valid. So, you know, really, really tricky. But thankfully, you know, this is starting to change. So, as I'm saying, historically, many people with eating disorders haven't been able to access the help they need. And also for people who are overweight, according to the BMI, often this is quite unhelpful as well because maybe they are healthy for their body type. They may just be taller, more muscular, bigger bone. There may be kind of cultural factors. And they're labeled as overweight and they're told to lose weight, setting them up for a whole load of disordered eating behaviors. And I can just think of the number of people that were encouraged to go on diets at around the age of like 13, 14 years old. And actually, you know, they say they look back at pictures of themselves at that point and they realize they weren't overweight. You know, it's just like people around them and the culture were really reinforcing this message that there was something wrong with their body. When actually they look back, they realize there was nothing wrong with my body, but maybe they didn't fit neatly into that BMI box and they had a lot of feedback around that. From their environment. So I know as well the number of people I've seen in eating disorder services who have been awarded like slimmer of the year through a weight loss club and they've been on a massive weight loss journey, massively celebrated and validated for this, you know, and I think if you haven't had a lot of validation and emotional support and really being seen and heard, if you go on a weight loss journey and suddenly you're incredibly validated and praised for this, of course you're gonna pursue that. You could not blame anyone for not doing that. But often these diets are completely unsustainable. The person falls into developing an eating disorder and then they suffer really silently because they think, well, I'm not thin enough. I don't have a proper eating disorder. And they're really, really confused because of actually the world is praising them and almost celebrating them and they're kind of winning awards for being um, the weight loss champion. But actually behind closed doors, they're having to resort to all kinds of disordered eating behaviors to maintain this weight. So time for a short advertisement break. My friend, Dr. Marianne Miller is an eating disorder therapist and binge eating coach, has been a guest on my podcast 
and she is offering a fantastic monthly membership program for those struggling with binge eating for 99 US dollars a month. It's called Dr. Marianne Land's Binge Eating Recovery Program. Go from feeling trapped and ashamed to feeling energized and empowered as you reduce and eliminate binge eating. Sign up for this membership program and end binge eating for good. Sign up now and get a 20 US dollar discount off the monthly 99 fee. And use the discount code Harriet, H-A-R-R-I-E-T. Check out Dr. Marianne's website in the show notes. So use that code Harriet, get that $20 discount. So worth it, highly recommend. Dr. Marianne. Also, a 2021 parliamentary inquiry into body image in the UK reported that people with a higher BMI felt it was difficult to access quality health care as health complaints were automatically diagnosed as weight-related and not properly investigated. And further research demonstrates that adults with a higher BMI are nearly three times as likely as a person with a normal BMI to say that they've been denied access to appropriate medical care, leading many to avoid seeking treatment because of the discomfort of the stigma. This is a really, really, really kind of big issue and people kind of living with so much kind of shame and isolation and just feeling that they can't kind of access the support they need. Now, Thankfully, the Health at Every Size movement, Hayes, has demonstrated through research how health is much more than weight alone. And health behaviours, things like moving your body, getting good sleep, hydration, managing stress and practising intuitive eating behaviours are much more helpful and defining factors of health. So let's just talk a bit more about, before we sort of explore more about kind of health at every size and what would be helpful rather than focusing on weight, let's think a little bit more about where has BMI come from in the first place? So in the 1830s, can you believe this? Belgian mathematician and astronomer Lambert Quetelet, I'm probably um, saying his name completely wrong, so apologies, um, Lambert. He developed a system to classify the average ideal man by measuring the height and weight of French and Scottish participants, so namely Europeans white men. So for almost 200 years, health professionals have used this system to gauge a person's health and associated health risks. But Quetelet never, Quetelt, Quetelet, Quetelt, I don't know what his name is, sorry, he's turning in his grave, I'm sure. He never intended this model to be used in this way. BMI was meant to be a population study and not a personal indication of one's health status. So let's think about three reasons why then we shouldn't define our health in relation to BMI. So number one, it is an outdated measure. It was created 200 years ago as a measure for white European men. It doesn't consider age, sex, muscle mass or bone structure. Now actually when we say all this out loud, it really does seem quite ridiculous, doesn't it, that we still rely on this so heavily. Number two, your worth as a number your worth as a human even, and your health cannot be defined by a single number. So when we simply categorize people as underweight, normal weight, overweight, or obese, and assign certain health risks to these categories, we absolutely ignore the full picture. 
And I think for so many people I've worked with as well in recovery, they have got very fixated on a BMI or a number that they need to be to be healthy for their body. So maybe thinking this is particularly perhaps relevant for someone who's on a weight restoration journey, recovering from anorexia nervosa. So they may have been given a BMI of 18.5 and a weight at the BMI of 18.5 as a goal to aim for, to really kind of get them out of the woods and get their body to a much more stable place. Now I think this can be a really helpful incremental goal in the process of recovery, but for many, many people, actually when you get to BMI 18.5, it doesn't mean that your body is automatically healthy just because that's what the BMI sort of um, tool says. You know, for a lot of people, if you're trying to maintain your BMI at 18.5, 19, maybe even 20 or 21, or even higher, you know, for some people, actually, they're going to have to be really restrictive with their eating to maintain that BMI. And then arguably, then you're really in kind of quasi recovery because of you may be in a much better place perhaps than you were in before. But actually, you're having to be very restrictive, you're having to have a lot of food rules to maintain that BMI. And that's quasi recovery, because you're going to be preoccupied with food, you're going to have some starvation symptoms, you're going to be anxious about eating out, food is not going to be free for you. So I would just say to you, if you're listening to this, and you are very fixated on being a certain number, whether it be BMI or weight, I'd really encourage you to start to question that and start to have a goal more of working more to a place where your body is happy rather than some external measure. And then number three, BMI creates barriers to accessing treatment and support. So BMI can create a lot of weight stigma. You know, as I've been saying, if you're not thin enough according to BMI, at least historically, you might not get support for your eating disorder. And if you're deemed to be overweight, every health issue you experience is linked back to your weight and then you don't get the help that you need. And if you're starving yourself and have eating disorder symptoms, but you're still in the overweight or normal weight BMI range, you'll likely be praised for your weight loss and you might not get help for your eating disorder. So it is very confusing. It is very toxic. It's not surprising that there's so many people out there that have been struggling with an eating disorder for a very long time but have never recognized they have an issue because of things like the BMI, which really, really invalidate an individual's experience. So what's the alternative to BMI? So health is more than a number. Health is defined by a whole range of factors and including mental, spiritual, and emotional health too. And if you listen to this podcast, you know I'm always going on about my book that I'm reading, I think it's called Growing Young by Marsha someone, I need to try and remember to put it in the show notes, but that is a great book that just talks about what really helps people live to an old age and what are really the defining factors around health. And it's all about things like having a purpose, having connection, having a moderate lifestyle, reducing stress. It's not about obsessively kind of being super, super thin or super, super lean and having to like do a certain amount of steps or a certain amount of exercise, etc., etc. because actually the stress of trying to maintain all of that actually takes years off your life. So a multinational study 
of almost 14,000 adults across Australia, Canada, the UK and the US found that 66% had experienced weight stigma when visiting a doctor for healthcare, with patients of a higher body weight identifying doctors as one of the most common interpersonal sources of weight stigma. So the future needs to be weight inclusive. It needs to be trauma-informed care that views health as more than just a number. So what does this include? So things like weight inclusivity, so accepting and respecting the inherent diversity of body shapes and sizes and reject the idealizing or pathologizing of specific, specific weights. So it's kind of realizing, isn't it? We are all really individuals. We all have different body shapes and sizes and that depends so much on, you know, kind of like your gender, um, your ethnicity, your cultural background, your social situation, whether you um, identify as male or female, is really quite complex. Whether you are muscular, whether you are bigger boned, it is very, very complex. We need to really look at individuals. Number two, health enhancement. So supportive health policies that improve and equalize access to information and services and personal practices that improve human well-being including the attention to individual, physical, economic, social, spiritual, emotional, and other needs. Number three, respectful care. Now, we all have our biases. So many of us carry this unconscious weight stigma and fat phobia. So it's so helpful for us to be aware of these things, to educate ourselves, to really reflect and notice where this is coming up for us. Because when as a culture we can start to take responsibility for this and start to understand it and own our weight stigma, our fat phobia, it's going to have such a big impact. So I think as well, providing information and services from an understanding that socioeconomic status, race, gender, sexual orientation, age, and other identities impact weight stigma and support environments that address these inequalities. So I think it's so, so, so important. It's really important, isn't it, that we feel that we can go along and speak to a health professional and not feel shamed or dismissed, to feel that someone's going to really see us as an individual and have an understanding of these broader issues. Number four, eating for well-being. So promoting flexible, individualized eating based on hunger, satiety, nutritional needs and pleasure, rather than kind of this external, regulated, fixated kind of eating plan. So really supporting people to have a healthy relationship with food, to work towards sort of more intuitive eating principles. So you can be supporting them with things like maybe emotional eating or binge eating, getting back in touch with hunger and fullness and really like respecting their body, feeding themselves well, having structure, self-care around their eating, but not dieting. And number five, life-enhancing joyful movement. So supporting physical activities that allow people of all sizes, abilities and interests to engage in enjoyable movement to the degree that they choose. Now I know as well, so many of my clients um, have talked about feeling that they can't go into an exercise space or in a gym because they feel so much shame around their bodies. They feel there's a lot of judgment. And I think the reality is, you know, there is a lot of weight stigma 
in our society. There's a lot of real unconscious and conscious stigma and people can feel really shamed. And there's such a lot of like just diet talk where people are just unconsciously spewing out this stuff. And um, it can be really, really triggering and really, really invalidating if you're trying to heal your relationship with food. So research from the Health at Every Size movement demonstrates that this kind of approach works so much better um, when we're looking at all these different factors. People aren't really motivated to, at least not for the long term, to maintain like an external food plan, a restrictive diet that's not really suited to their energy, their body, their lifestyle. And then people often end up feeling isolated, stigmatized and labeled and possibly suffering for many, many years as well with disordered eating or eating disorders and incomplete isolation. So I guess the thing that we're saying from this is is that every human being is worthy of respect, appropriate medical care, and as human beings, we are more than just a number on the scale or a BMI, a body mass index number. So I hope you found that helpful and I just think just keep spreading the word about this because I think still in our culture, in mainstream culture, body mass index BMI is still often seen as a valid way of, you know, evaluating someone's health. And but the more we can educate people, the more we can have an understanding of these issues ourselves, the the more helpful and the more as well we can start to question our own internalized weight stigma and fat phobia. And actually when we all start to take more responsibility as individuals and we can, you know, pass on these messages to other people and live our values out in this way, that is where the real change occurs. Okay, so I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And you might want to join my bite-sized therapy. If you enjoy this podcast and you want extra podcasts, extra content, it's only five pounds a month and you can try it for a week for free first. If you enjoy this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. And if you'd like to attend our transformational, inspirational event, which is Saturday, the 30th of September, Inspiring Prevention of Eating Disorders and Body Image Issues, brought together a whole load of different professionals in the field to give like talks and workshops around these issues. Really feel very passionate about this. And it's now online. So you can potentially access it from anywhere in the world. Um, It's gonna be preferable, it's like gonna be from two until 9 p.m. British Standard Time, British Summer Time actually, isn't it? British Summer Time. So that is hopefully gonna work quite well, at least for kind of East Coast, potentially West Coast USA if you get up early. A bit more challenging if you're in Australia and in some other parts of the world, but we will be recording all of the workshops as well so you can have access to them afterwards. Okay, thank you so much for listening and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.